0: I'm Adam Ondra. Welcome to Factor 2.
1: When Adam climbed the Dawn Wall on El Capitan in 2016, I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was a teacher at the time, and every morning when my form group came in, I'd have Adam's Instagram feed on the board. We looked at the New York Times topo, we talked tactics, and we watched videos of Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgeson on the first ascent. I was trying to convey to them that for me, this is Mo Farrell on Super Saturday. This was the two-goal swing for Man City on the last day of the season. A few of them got it, and after a while they were coming in saying, Sir, he's made it to Wino Tower. He's done it. This story isn't about Adam Andra, but it is about a 24-year-old climber who did something incredible on El Capitan. But in 1984, Big Brother wasn't watching. Sir
2: Dunyon is what we called him. You have a name like Duncan Critchley, and yes, in the end, that's Sir Duncan Critchley. He was like the little mini Ernest Shackleton
0: of (laughs) Yosemite. I'm Duncan Critchley. I'm uh, a rock climber, a parent, a physiotherapist, a pain researcher, not necessarily in that order, and uh, was a very, very uh, enthusiastic semi-full-time climber in the
1: early through to the mid-80s. Certain parts of this story started to sound a little bit far-fetched to me. Duncan gets credits in the history of Yosemite climbing, not least a mention in Alex Honnold's book, Alone on the Wall. But I couldn't find anything contemporary. When I asked Duncan about this, he said it just didn't occur to him to tell anybody. So I thought I'd better find some witnesses. This is Charles Cole, Charles has made more than a thousand first ascents in California, including new routes on El Cap. Closer to home, you might have used some of his products. Charles is the inventor of Stealth Rubber and the founder of 510.
2: He, he gave us all something to hold on to for the rest of our lives, and that was what I used at 510. I tried to tell, and again, I don't know if I did a great job but in, in telling the story, but Yes, yeah, so well, I always use Duncan, you know, you be like Duncan Critchley, Sir Duncan
1: Critchley. The other voice you'll hear is John Middendorf. John started his own company, A5 Adventures, selling edges he'd designed himself. They eventually became part of the Black Diamond range. and John went on to use his designs on First Ascents in Yosemite, but also on the Great Trango Tower in Pakistan.
0: My Bible was a book called uh, Yosemite Climber which is a, a picture book, a coffee table book. One of the first climbing coffee table books only aimed at at, at climbers. And it again, it was one of the things that really sold Yosemite to, to me and, and many other people of my era. Climbing photography in the 70s was, was mostly fairly mediocre. The writing, if you Look back through the, the, the magazines. The writing is often very good, but the photography is is you know if you if you look at something like hard rock, the writing is often really excellent, but you know if you look objectively at the photography, it's not that great. But Yosemite climber was I felt an order of magnitudes better than, than what was coming from sort of UK sources in the main. Nowadays, you know, we're, we're living in a tremendously sort of visual world. You know, we're bombarded with images. Perhaps the writing around climbing is, is, is not as, as persuasive. But boy, is the sort of visual content absolutely fantastic. So Yosemite Climber, which was beautiful and full colour and tremendously inspiring, really came into a kind of a grey UK world as a sort of blast it portrayed the short free routes, it portrayed the long aid routes, and it had an article about climbing the nose in a day.
1: You're listening to Factor 2 from UK Climbing. This is episode 2, nine and a half hours. Climbing the nose must be a dream for so many climbers. Climbing the nose in a day? Not so many. The first ascent of the nose, in 1958, was made by a team led by Warren Harding. They spent 45 days on the face, spread over 18 months. The second ascent took a week, and most climbers these days take between three and five days to climb the 31 pitches to the top.
3: My name is John Middendorf. I uh, worked on the rescue team from 1984 to 1990, approximately, and of course back then, Doing the nose in a day wasn't really on everybody's radar. It'd been done by Bridwell and his team, of course, about five years earlier, but um, really hadn't been done that much.
0: We knew of, or well, two two teams that had done the nose in a day, and one kind of quasi ascent. So, the first team was was the it was the Bridwell uh, Long Billy Westway uh, team who did the uh, who did the route in 1975. That was, that was an incredible ascent. It was pre-Friends, pre-camming devices. So they were climbing the routes using a few hexes, but mainly pitons.
1: Just, Just unbelievable to do that in a day. They actually climbed it quicker than Duncan says, just 15 hours. In 1978, Wild Country released the first version of Friends, designed by Ray Jardine. And it revolutionized climbing in the valley.
2: Back in those days, life was easy. <laughs> we'd just go to the meadow every day and see who's on El Cap, and take out our binoculars or our telescopes, and we'd have a picnic in, in the meadow. And there was, and that's where you meet all the top guys. I remember Ray Jardine. I met him there. Uh, he was selling friends for the very first ones. I think it was ten or twelve bucks a piece.
1: Yeah, and they were
2: magic. We couldn't even believe those things.
1: Yosemite wasn't Duncan's first taste of big roots. he'd been benighted twice in the verdon previously and his first trip to the valley wasn't without incident
0: I had a great first first trip we did um half dome in a kind of sort of alpine style the nose in a sort of classic two and a half day two bivy style got quite wet on the uh uh on the second bivy but uh, managed to climb out through the clouds um and that was just a just a fantastic experience i was i was completely hooked by uh being up on the up on the granite walls after that just sort of sitting there with your um, smelly t-shirt and uh, and tracksuit trousers as the sun uh, sun goes down and the uh, the rock turns from from sort of gold and yellow through to pink through to grey and it gets dark and it's just such a fantastic place Yosemite was everything that uh, everything I wanted it to be and then the last last route that uh, that we did was as a result of uh, a separate reality which uh, which is this big roof uh, a 20 foot long roof with a with a hand crack running out and it was a uh, it had been the cover of Mountain magazine, a fam- famous picture of Ray Jardine inventor of friends uh, on it and this is one of these images that had really sold Yosemite to us but my friend sprained his ankle on the route taking a fall getting the gear out of it actually cleaning the gear which meant that he he couldn't crack climb but he could stand in Adas with his foot with his foot flat so we thought well, you know we've 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 done the long free routes. We've we've done things like the the nose and half dome. Why don't we, you know, why don't we try one of these sort of big wall aid routes? And a friend of ours had done the first British ascent of Zodiac, so Zodiac it was. So we we set off up Zodiac, end of October, early November, and uh, it was hard. It was. Um, a challenging route at the time this sea of granite smooth golden rock all around you and it's extremely steep so the, the the whole bag is sort of floating out in space after every pitch and it was everything that the kind of the magazine photos said it was going to be we had a, a we had a real epic on it because we got caught in a storm on Peanut Ledge, which is, which is three pitches uh, below the top, and eventually got to the top, we had to be helicoptered off. But it was still, it didn't put us off, because it had been a, this absolutely tremendous adventure, and if people do Zodiac, you know, it's, it's, it is the sort of the, the classic Yosemite big wall. So that kind of got me hooked on, on the sort of big wall aid climbing star routes.
1: Despite this rescue, Duncan had had what most climbers would consider to be a pretty successful trip a relatively fast ascent of the nose already, and an ascent of half dome. He returned for a second time, with definite objective. But the nose in a day was still in the background.
0: I went to Yosemite with, with four routes of in my mind. I wanted to do Astroman, the west face of El Cap, uh, Mescalito, and the P.O. Wall. And, uh, and by the end of the Two and a half months, we'd uh, we'd done all the routes. Came back to uh, to the UK. I'd spent nine months in the States, and I was a bit of a I was a bit of a lost soul in terms of um, what I wanted to do. You know, i hadn't finished my degree at Sheffield, so I spent time working in climbing shops, the usual the usual sort of thing. And I'd met some friends in Yosemite who'd said uh, you know come out to come out to Australia sometime you know the climbing there's absolutely fantastic. weather is great, work is available, you have a great time." But I took up the offer and uh, and went off to Australia. Arapolis at that time was had a climbing community of 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 maybe half a dozen people, so there were a mostly Australian, some New Zealand climbers, signing on the dole and perhaps working casually, picking fruit, camping was free, food was, was uh was extraordinarily cheap and, and you could live on next to nothing. So that's what I did. Arapolis is a is a magnificent uh, place to climb. You know, the rock is wonderful to climb on. It's it's a combination of the the best parts of gritstone and limestone if you've not experienced it. It's beautifully coloured. The problem, though, with the scene there, as I say, is is, is there were very, very few people. There were full-timers, and, and, and like full-timers in any part of the world, they'd done nearly everything that they needed to do or wanted to do. Getting them sort of motivated to actually to go climbing was uh, was sometimes a challenge. Getting them to get out of bed before 2 o'clock in the afternoon was, was sometimes a bit of a challenge, and I wanted to climb. So this is all terribly frustrating. As a result of that, I I started soloing. I really, really enjoyed the free soloing day, you know, the sense of liberty, the sense of just moving over rock. John Backer, the great American climber, talked about having a half-dome day or an El Cap day soloing, where he would go off and solo 20 pitches or 30 pitches. I didn't have to wait for people to get up in the morning. So uh, I, could, I could go off and uh, I could have uh, a half-dome day. I consciously was doing this. I was going off and trying to solo the equivalent of half-dome or of, of El Cap. I had no idea about training or how to kind of prepare myself really. Instinctively, it felt like climbing in the nose in a day meant you had to climb 3,000 feet worth of rock. What was a good preparation for doing that? Well, I would go off and climb 3,000 feet of rock. I kind of had that in the back of my mind when I was soloing around Mount Raples as well. This large amount of, sort of free soloing was something that was kind of driven by necessity, but it turned out to be you know, fantastic training for what came next.
2: Well, when he, we don't know who he is, he just shows up. In those days in Yosemite, when people arrived in Camp 4, you had, if you've already been living in Camp 4, you kind of know all the visitors. It's, there just weren't that many people, and you, you'd get to, you see them, and you'd say, hey, what are you guys doing? Or what are you, in his case, what are you doing? And uh, we were all interested in walls. Anybody's interested in a wall, they, they stand out. First of all, they have a ton of gear. They lay it all out in their camp site get ready for the wall, and you just walk up to him and say, what wall are you planning on? Everybody in Camp 4 knew wh- who was on what wall at any given time. You know, he can do this stuff. And it was one of these people, he, I'd never heard of him before, and I don't know anybody in the assembly, at least in my crowd, that had heard of him. And he came, and he get in, and we wow, this wow, who is this guy? So he did, we were watching quite intently.
3: Well, I'd met Duncan in Camp 4, and uh, I'd always been interested in in any sort of uh, overseas climbing, so I picked his brain about the British-UK climbing scene. But uh, then one day I was just walking through uh, the Yosemite Lodge parking lot after doing a bit of bouldering there, my climbing for the day, and I saw Duncan, and I asked him what he'd been up to. He told me it just come down from the nose, and I said, that's odd because I'd just seen him the day before, he was walking around the parking lot, having just climbed uh, the biggest uh, you know, rock face in Yosemite.
0: Turned up in, in uh, Yosemite on my own this time, so very much relying on people that I met from the Camp 4 notice boards or just who happened to be sharing the, uh, the campsite with me. And I climbed Astraman a second time with a guy called Mark Rolofson. I'd done Astroman before, but Mark wanted to do it, and I was very keen to lead, lead the pitches, which I hadn't done the previous time. We took uh, about five and a half hours on it, which was um, quite an efficient ascent that seemed to kind of attract, attract people's, uh, people's attention. But after Astroman, I was approached by a guy in the uh, camp for parking lot which is where a lot of good adventures start. I was being headhunted. It's not a term I was uh, familiar with, or even an idea I was familiar with at the time. Thinking back on it, that was what was happening. And this guy, tall, looked like the archetypal Brit climber of the time. Scruffy jeans, fleece jacket, which was practically falling off his shoulders. And he was Swiss. Oh, this can't be right. Swiss climbers are supposed to be, you know, immaculate, coiffured guides, and he looks like someone that ought to be dossing in the stony woodshed. This was uh, Roman Vogler, and the name was familiar. I was a big consumer of climbing media, which means climbing magazines, and I thought I'd heard of the name. And yeah, so he was the guy that had been doing new routes on the uh, on the Grand Cap in Chamonix. And after about 30 seconds of kind of small talk, he said, do you want to do the nose in a day? And I thought, you know what? Yes, I certainly do.
3: There were some climbers, like Roman was one, I'd say, and he really didn't, I think he was well-known, you know, but not really well-known in Yosemite. And, and frankly, you know, there were some climbers who came in and didn't really want to integrate with the whole community that was there. And uh, I think Roman was one of those because I never got to know him at all. I think he just kept to himself and, uh, and cherry-picked his partner's like with, with Duncan.
0: And it struck me that this was the perfect guy. You know, someone who was used to climbing in the Alps, used to getting a move on. What was, it, what was entertaining, though, was that he saw me as being the aid climbing half of the partnership. Despite being a, a Swiss alpinist... And me being a kind of a purist Brit rock climber, he thought he'd be doing the free climbing, and I'd be doing the I'd be doing the aid climbing. Well, I wasn't quite so sure about that. But we smoothed out diplomatic relations were kind of established pretty pretty quickly. Roman was one of those people that uh, when you when you when you meet them, you get a really strong, instinctive positive feeling about them. I just knew immediately that that we were going to make a great team. He had the sort of the balance of 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 enthusiasm and drive and the kind of the inner steel but he was, he was he was great fun and, and laid back at, at the same time, but not too laid back. He'd have been equally as, as, uh, as frustrated in uh, in Mount Rapolis I think as, uh, as I had been. This was perfect I'd found my, I'd found my partner without even having to look for him at that point we thought, well, we probably ought to do a warm-up route together you know that would be the sensible that would be the sensible thing. What haven't we climbed and we kind of went through you know South Face of Washington Column, North Face Face of Half Dome. There were various you know, various possibilities, but we'd done them all. We, we couldn't, think of a, couldn't think of routes that, uh, that we hadn't done. So we thought, oh, what the hell, we'll just go for it. And we decided that um, 21st of June would be an auspicious day to do the, uh, to do the nose. I'd assumed... That we might be actually sort of fixing some of the the pitches up to sickle, so we decided that we would we would set out at, uh, at first light. We we took Danish pastries as our um, performance fuel for the day and uh, climbed it in uh, tracksuit trousers and uh, and t shirts. I can remember just you know jumping for a piece of tat on one of the first first four pitches and uh, thinking this is the style and then we 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 got over into the uh into the stove legs and started simul climbing up it you know five eight five nine hand jamming i'm not sure i would do it now but it it felt totally secure and uh and the logical thing to do at the time i just wanted to get up the thing and not get benighted i just did not want to spend another cold night on a on a stone ledge somewhere. If we could get up the route in a day, I, I, I would be totally happy. I had no goals in terms of trying to beat times. Anyway, we, um, we met up the evening before and uh, sort of talked about strategy. And we both agreed that uh, moving together would be uh, the way to go being European climbers. We went with a double rope option this is not the best idea, but uh, the mental barrier of climbing uh, El Cap uh, in a day, because it is just huge. Sit in El Cap meadows or, or drive along the road there; it really, really is enormous. And the idea of climbing it in a day is—it is, was a big mental barrier. So we were—we simul climbed up uh, the stove legs and then the section from Dolt Tower to El Cap Tower, which as I say, is about 15 pitches. It's about 1,300, 1,400 feet of climbing. And we'd set off at, just as it was getting light, bang on, 5 a.m. We reached El Cap Tower at about, just a little bit after eight in the morning. The route was relatively, relatively clear. Even in 1981, you know, there were issues with congestion on the route. It was, it was popular even then. There was one team up high on the route who weren't going to get in our way. And there was another team who were bivvying on El Cap Towers, which is 15 pitches up. Romain knew them and he said, they're fine. They're going for a casual three day ascent. They'll let us through, won't get in our way, no problem at all. And, uh, the guys, Romans' friends, were uh, were still in their sleeping bags. So we, we kind of rocked up there and uh, they said, Where have you come from today? Oh, we just started out. Oh. I think at that point we realised we were going to do the route in a day. And uh, I certainly relaxed. And after that, we just pitched the route out. We didn't climb or um, climb, other than perhaps a few short sections. So we were just treating it like a big crag, really intense memories of 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 of, of doing the thing was uh was sitting at the end of the um the great roof pitch this was this is something that that's involved a bit of aid so Rommel had probably asked me to lead that pitch and I was belaying him up uh up the pitch and sat there. this is a point where the exposure really kicks in um, a lot a lot of the the nose doesn't feel that exposed. It's either a little bit slabby or it's within, within the corner uh, features. The great roof pitch is somewhere where you really all of a sudden realize you're 2000 feet up above the valley floor. And I was sat there in my tracksuit trousers and t shirt like I was doing a two or three pitch route on Gogarth or something like that. And it just felt absolutely amazing. Treating treating our cat like a giant crag, it was so cool. Rommel led most of the uh, the top dihedral, as I as I remember it, and we topped out. And uh, I can remember his words as as, as I uh, reached the the tree. shall we have a naughty look at the watch? And it was uh, it was it was two thirty. So we'd uh, we'd taken. Uh, Around nine and a half hours on the route, he he wasn't uh, a, a, a man for uh, for hanging around, you know. The uh, the alpine guide uh, side of him was was, was very much of ingrained, and he absolutely shot off down the east ledge's uh, descent, and uh, we were back down back in uh, camp four by uh, by four o'clock in the afternoon, and I remember. Uh, I remember walking back into uh, into Camp Four, bumping into uh, into John Middendorf, and uh, he said, oh, what have you been up to today, Duncan? We've just climbed our camp."
3: I think I was having a rest day essentially, but I'd just been bouldering a little bit, and I was walking through the Yosemite Lodge parking lot, and I see Duncan, and I said, "Hey, Duncan, you know how's it going?" And uh, just checking in, what you've been up to today, and he told me he just. <laughs> and i think he was pretty casual about it too maybe maybe uh effectively so but he was just like oh yeah we just uh you know me and Roman just uh, just climbed the nose and i was like hey, you know it's one of those th- times when you just do a little double take like you you actually started today and you are back down right now
0: so that was the first and 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 sadly the last route that, that i uh that i ever did with him and uh it's it astonishes me now, really, that we had the, the confidence in each other to, uh, to go off and start uh, you know, simul-climbing together. And looking back at it it, it, it seems like a really stupid thing to do. But at the time, it just felt so right and so natural. And, and uh, I had such confidence in, uh, in the guy that um, it just seemed like a completely appropriate thing. And unfortunately, I never managed to climb with him again because he had an abseiling accident and uh, and died in the um, in the early nineties. And I, I did very very little climbing from nineteen eighty four through to the kind of the early early mid nineties, and so never never had a chance to to even to meet up with him again. one of the kind of the. Uh, One of the holes, really, in my life, I think. But we had
1: a hell of a day together. You've been listening to Factor 2 from UK Climbing. Duncan and Roman's ascent is credited as the third in-a-day ascent of the nose. Several other teams did the nose in a day during the 80s, but their record stood until 1990. For Duncan, the record wasn't important. This was just a big day at the crag. It might seem bizarre, but this is just the first part of the story. After climbing the nose, Duncan went on to do something that sealed him into the hearts of those in the valley at the time. Join me next time for episode three, Alone, Off the Wall. What do you do after you do the nose in a day? Well,
0: what about doing the nose and half dome in a day? That would be cool, wouldn't it? Um, wild plans about, you know, paraponting off the top of half dome. And I'll, tell, I'll tell the 510 story.
2: Just in what he did uh he he really changed the the story of Yosemite, Yosemite climbers that for the better He set a standard during that descent that everyone I know tried to follow and I sure wish people knew more about that today, and we all said that eventually you know Duncan Critchley set the standard, and he was we all tried to live up to that standard after that.